Welcome in and happy new year. The very first live chat of 2022. This is your live chat for the century tournament of champions and boy, am I ready to rock and roll. The next hour is your time. Questions, concerns, comments, anything you want to talk about in this field. This time is yours. And of course, as always, it is presented by my friends over at Jock Market. There is a Jock Market Power Hour tonight. That is Stock Market DFS. I'll talk more about them in just one second, but I cannot wait any longer. It has been weeks since I've been able to grab a comment from the chat. Let's get going here. Lincoln Hawk says, 8K and up, which golfer is a definite fade for you and which golfer is for sure making all of your lineups? Let me go ahead and share my screen. Everything that you see will be from my website, rickrungood.com. I've made significant upgrades to it over the course of the last couple of weeks, as I always try to do. But $8,000 and up. Let's start with the fade. That would go down to Tony Finau and all the way up to John Rahm. That is the range that we are looking for. I have to say this. I'm worried about Sung J.M., and I don't want to be. I wrote this up in my Run Good Rundown, which is available on, on rickrungood.com. I can show you that information in just a second. But Sung J, we know, is an excellent ball striker. We played He played beautifully at the Tournament of Champions last year. But this is what I wrote in the, in the Run Good Rundown. On Bermuda, over the course of his career, he's been phenomenal, but he has lost a ton of strokes. In fact, basically nine consecutive events, he's lost strokes on Bermuda grass greens with the putter. That, to me, is concerning. If this was a any other stat, any other player, if, he, if someone had lost eight or nine events in a row, I'd be really, really concerned about it. Now, when you combine all of that with the fact that he's likely to be one of the most popular in the, in the $8,000 range, I have him coming in at about... 30%, I'm scared. I must admit that I'm scared. And maybe you are better and smarter than I am and you're able to, to play him and he putts fine and all that good stuff, but I am worried about him, especially at that ownership. The one guy that I think you have to play, was that the question? Making all of your lineups? If someone is making all of my lineups, I believe they are mispriced. That is kind of the idea here. Uh, Daniel Berger likely that guy. There's a lot of reasons for this. Again, I, I wrote him up earlier, but he has been essentially over his last 100 rounds, one of the best ball strikers on planet earth. When you start putting him in really tough fields, he does not shy away from, he's got top tens at major championships. I believe three of them um, in, in the last year played well recently. I, I think Berger is probably the most mispriced guy because if he takes a leap this year and becomes one of the really, you know, games, I don't want to say elite players, but top 15 players, he's mispriced here. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, Rick. Going back to the Tuesday scramble. Oh, thank you. Uh, are there any guys you could see struggling on day one and quote, quote, end quote, mailing it in? That question from no Dak to Mini. Well, this is really tough because a lot of this is narrative based. You know, who is going to be, Taking time, who has taken time off? Maybe they're a bit rusty when they get out there. I would not be surprised to see someone like Patrick Cantlay struggle. Struggle. We just haven't seen him, right? He hasn't played since he didn't play in the entire fall. So I believe the last time we saw him was the tour championship. Even John Rahm played after the tour championship. I, I believe he played two events in Europe, didn't play particularly well, but we have no idea what Patrick Reed has been up or, uh, excuse me, Patrick Cantlay has been up to. So that to me, would be a candidate for maybe a little bit of struggles out of the gate. But with four guaranteed rounds, I'm not too worried about anybody um, 
you know, if they go off to a slow start, there's plenty of birdies to be made out there. AJ Ingles says, loving the new data on Rick Run. Good. Thank you. Could you please give a quick weighted strokes gain for dummies? Would it be smarter to use weighted strokes gains or other times where regular strokes gain data is still useful? Okay. So I believe what you're referring, actually, I know exactly what you're referring to. You're referring to this, um, the weighted strokes gain metrics for me is a calculation that's probably two years in the making, and now it's finally on rickrungood.com. You can get it in the power rankings. You can see it on the cheat sheet. You can see it in the golfer profiles. You can see it and use it in the custom model to create your lineups. The way that this works is essentially uses, and it's right here. So I'm looking at the raw numbers right now, last 100 rounds, John Rahm, 1.9 strokes gained per round. If I switch this to weighted, still 100 rounds, John Rahm goes to 2.73 strokes gained per round. And the idea is... It is much more impressive to gain two strokes at the U.S. Open than it is to gain two strokes at the Bermuda Championship because the guys who are playing in these tougher fields are so much better. So if you're gaining strokes on them, you are doing something really, really special. So the idea behind this is uh, using strength of field numbers, amongst other things, to create essentially weighted strokes gain numbers. You don't get as much credit for gaining one stroke per round at the Premier Championship, you get more credit for doing it at a, a something like a U.S. Open. So it allows you to see who's kind of playing well in big events. So a, a perfect example of this, I think, is, is, is Seamus Power. You know, if you look at the last 50 rounds, Seamus Power is literally in this field number two in raw strokes gained. John Rahm, 2.1. Seamus Power, 1.4. So if you start to deep dive into Seamus Power, what you're going to find is, yeah, he's been great. He's been gaining a lot of strokes, but he hasn't particularly played in the most difficult fields. You know, the, the stretch of golf that he played was Rocket Mortgage, John Deere. He won the Barbasol, the Wyndham, the Northern Trust. Then he played a lot in the fall, Bermuda, Mayakoba, Shriners. You know, these aren't stacked fields, right? So should he get the same credit as someone like a Patrick Cantlay does? Uh, basically, they're the same number. No, he shouldn't. Or Sam Burns, for that matter. No, he shouldn't. So Power is number two in raw numbers, but he's actually number, let's see, I think he drops like 18th or something in, oh, let's do last 50 rounds. Sorry, let me make sure I have my filters correct. Last 50 in this field. Yeah, he drops to 18th. So that's a really good example of the weighted numbers. I think there are still probably going to be times to use the, the raw numbers, but I will um, quite often be using the weighted numbers moving forward. So thank you for that question. Logan says, love the new show with Lack. What are your favorite leverage spots off the chalk in GPPs? Okay, so this obviously is dictated by what I believe the projected ownership to be. So I have that on the cheat sheet right now. Uh, up in the upper tier, there's nobody who's super highly owned. You know, Xander Shoffley, 27%. That's probably the most. If you want to pivot there, Sam Burns is probably your guy. It's $400 cheaper. I'm, I have him coming in at half the ownership. He's got all the birdie making, all the ceiling, all that good stuff. Um, going down a little bit further. Cam Smith is the pivot from Daniel Berger. If you look at the weighted strokes gain metrics, Cam Smith ranks very, very highly there off the tee. It's his issue. Shouldn't be a problem this week. He's coming in at nearly half the ownership of Daniel Berger. And then Patrick Reed is really the popular guy kind of right below that $8,000 range. I, I don't mind. I believe Kokrak comes in higher than 20%. That's what I have him um, projected at right now. I think he's going to come in higher than that. Why are we not talking more about Harris English? You know, he won this event last year. I know it's been a bit of a struggle for him, but there's an argument to be made that when we've had this length of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Break? 
layoff, that was the word I was actually looking for, layoff, then layoffs, then wouldn't everybody get back to their baseline? Harris English, Harris English's baseline is like a top 20 player. He won this event last year. So he's probably a pretty good pivot. Um, let me run to this comment real quick because it is a super chat. So Bernie says, sup, Rick. I know Morikawa is the most accurate driver on tour, but what do you think about his, about this over under 12 and a half fairway line? Juiced way too high, right? I'm not sure. I've not seen, I'm assuming this is a prop you're referring to, over 12 and a half on one round, seemingly, right? I mean, these are these are literally the widest fairways on the PGA Tour. I would imagine he's going to pound a lot of them. Um, do I have the fairway numbers from last year? Give me one second real quick. I might have, I don't know if I have them handy. I can probably find them, but I don't know if I have them handy. Uh, let me see if I can tweet that out for you, Bernie. Thanks for the super chat. It is always appreciated, but not necessary. Uh, Scott B says, Happy New Year, Rick. You as well, Scott. Would you consider course history over recent form considering the break? Yes. JT has both going for him, but bad odds. Spieth at 22 to 1 is intriguing. Completely agree. I bet Jordan Spieth essentially immediately when that number came out because I couldn't believe it. Uh, clearly, Spieth has struggled down the stretch, right? He limped to the finish line of, of 2021. Uh, the approach play was gone. He was horrific at the Hero World Challenge. He's had four weeks. If we're starting to reset everybody, nobody has the ceiling like Jordan Spieth does. I'm not even kidding. I tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. In 2021, he gained at least five strokes on the field in 13% of his rounds, by far the highest rate in the world. Only him and John Rahm were over, I believe, 11%. So he is an absolute ceiling golfer. That's all you care about with an outright. You don't care about what his floor is. You don't care about him finishing. T7 or 12th, it's about winning. And that is the volatility and the upside that Jordan Spieth offers you. Hank says, you mentioned you have played this course before. Where would you rank it on all-time courses you've played? Uh, it's got to be pretty highly. Of course, the built-in the built-in um, scenery is obviously awesome. It was a really windy day when we were there, I believe. And it was like, oh my God, this is actually a lot tougher than I was hoping it would be. Um, you know, Torrey Pines is always up there. Uh, there's a couple courses in Southern California, like Pelican Hill is unbelievable. That's got the views as well. There's been a lot of places that have been more difficult. Um, but yeah, it's probably it's probably on the short list, top five, I would say. Got some love for Higo this week. What do you think about how he lines up here? I'm worried, Sid. I got to admit. Now, there's, there's two schools of thought. If we're going to revert everybody back to their baseline, that's one thing. But let's look at what um, – let's look at what his weighted – strokes gained are for the last 50 rounds. And unfortunately, I think I've got to scroll pretty far down the list here. Yeah, he's 33rd. He's actually losing strokes. Uh, that is weighted strokes uh, over his last 50 rounds. So if we start to reset everybody back. The other problem is if you go to raw data, I think he's even worse. Let's see. He's 34th there. Maybe it was, what was I doing? I was doing something, maybe it was 40 rounds. I was doing something where him and Stuart Sink were the worst ones in the field. Yeah, okay. So last 40 rounds, raw data, Garrick Higo losing nearly across the board. And he's been the worst player in this field by a pretty significant gap. So I would be fairly worried about Higo this week. Jay-Z, my main man, Rick, welcome back. We are in a 2022 state of mind. We certainly are. Happy New Year. Let's get some thoughts for my boy, Mark. Get that dog on the leash, man. How can you not love this? 
How can you absolutely not love this? So good. Thank you, Hove. Good to see you. Welcome back. Glad you're off to a really great start here in 2022. I will admit, I can never get this guy right. I am, I just so rarely get Mark Leishman correct. He's a decent Bermuda putter. You know, the, the ability to sometimes get hot on his approaches, which is what you see here, five strokes gained at the Fortinet, four and a half at the Northern Trust. That's, that's a valuable skill set. The thing that worries me is a lot of his results are dictated by the putter. These back-to-back putting weeks, seven and a half, seven strokes gained putting, are probably, let's see, yeah, they're like two of his best six putting performances ever, both of them coming in the fall. That's a little bit concerning. I do also say, well, he's not a very good driver of the golf ball, but that's okay here. You can kind of get away with it. I think I would consider myself lukewarm on Mark Leishman, like a five and a half out of 10 if five is middle of the road. That is kind of where I place Leishman and I will be very candid. I seemingly get him wrong every single time. Been a couple of guys on Twitter touting Phil. Do you think there's any honey in that pot? Doesn't seem to be. Biggie Balls, always good to have you in the chat. Listen, the further and further that we get away from the PGA Championship, the more and more that looked like the outlier. Now, look at this. I also have his Champions Tour data in there. Pretty cool, right? He just hasn't been good on the PGA Tour, and it is seemingly something different every single week. The tee to green play has been horrendous. The approach play, even worse than that. We've seen a, a bit of gains with the putter recently, but not enough to offset any of this. I, I am not all that confident in Phil contending, especially this is a hard field, right? This is this is forty or uh, thirty-eight. We're down to thirty-eight guys that won events last year. The strength of field is like five sixteen. Five sixteen is a really good field for only for only that number of players. It is one of the best. In, in tournament history, it, it's it's just a tough field. I just don't see it. Drew the Baller wants to know if Cam, well, Drew, this says Cam Davies weak, W-E-A-K. So you could be asking if Cam Davies is weak, as in the opposite of strong, or if it's Cam Davis's weak, W-E-E-K. The latter, I agree with because he is very strong. Listen, when you get, I, I, believe, I actually kind of liked Cam Champ before the WD as well. Cam Davis, what does he do best? He drives the ball far. He does not drive it accurately. I believe last year he was top 20 in distance and he was outside like 160 in accuracy, something like that. So you want to get in places where he can drive the ball without regard for accuracy. Kapalua certainly fits that category. There's also another thing about Cam Davis that is really interesting, and I can try to pull this up for you here really quickly. If you go to just the 2020 numbers on the Holy Grail and you flip over to the uh, the fantasy stats, which is something that I like to do, and you sort by birdies, he makes more birdies per tournament than Daniel Berger, Harris English, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, Patrick Reed. Now he also Brooks Kepka. He also makes more bogeys than those guys. However, there's not a lot of there's not a ton of bogeys lurking out there at Kapalua at the plantation course for these guys. So, yes, I, I don't know if it's if it's possible for him to contend, but I think he'll make enough birdies that you could definitely see him be inside the top 10 or so, something like that. Um, this is the moment of the show where I would like to remind you that this is indeed brought to you by Jock Market. If you've not played Jock Market, it is 
Stock market DFS. It means you can buy and sell shares of golfers. So tonight, that's the IPO phase. That's Wednesday night. Um, it, the IPO phase is going to close at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So you can go in and you can bid on shares of golfers right now. If you are one of the high bidders, when the IPO closes, you get those shares. And then those shares, depending on how the player um, finishes, turn into real, that's that's real dollars. You're putting up real dollars worth. There are free games as well. And it is just a fascinating idea and an even better execution. To put this a little bit more into perspective for you, I pulled up the data from last year's tournament of champions in the jock market. And this is on rickrungood.com. This is free. You can check this out anytime that you want. So last year, Harris English sold in IPO at $6.34. Because he won, he got the full payout. That was $25 a share. So if you had one share of Harris English, you made $18. If you had 10 shares of him, you made $180, so on and so forth. So you can kind of see how this plays out. It's really interesting. You can buy and hold. You can make trades throughout. You can short golfers now, and it's more than just golf. They have other sports. If you use the code RICK, That'll get you up to a $50 deposit bonus if you join us tonight at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time on the same place that you're at right now, the Rick Run Good YouTube channel. Joe Idonia and myself have a power hour. We'll also give away $100 there. AJ Ingalls says, can you explain the randomness percentage in the custom model? Sure. So this is the brand new updated uh, custom model on rickrungood.com. You can use the weighted numbers. Uh, you can use the weighted strokes gain numbers. You can include uh, DraftKings points gained. There's a lot of different things that you can do. There's also this randomness factor. So really, uh, it's a percentage. So if you have it set at 10%, that is going to take whatever value that you have, right? So when you assign your weights and you put them in there and you tell it how many rounds you want to go back, it ends up giving you a value. And that's the value that the optimizer, the lineup builder portion of this uh, builds lineups off of. It uses that value. Well, if you say set it to 10% randomness, that will change the value anywhere from minus 10% to 10%. So somewhere in there, just to give you a bit more randomness. Uh, you know, it, this is a very volatile game. It, it'll allow you to mix up your lineups a little bit more by every time it optimizes, it adds a certain percentage of randomness. If you don't want it to do anything, set it to zero. That'll just use the value as it normally does. If you want to be really random, set it to like 50%. Go crazy. It'll let you be a little bit different. It'll let you get some more unique lineups. Risk Nerd, good to have you back, says, great work work on Rick Run, good changes. Thank you. Quick question, how can Patrick Reed be over 40% owned this week? I agree with you. So uh, Risk Nerd is referencing the fact that I have Patrick Reed as the highest projected owned golfer on the slate, 40.3%. I agree with you. I don't know how he can be that highly owned because I don't think he's going to get it from me. But I think the issue is, or not the issue, I think the reason is your, your options get really bad when you get below 8K. There's a lot of question marks. And he is someone that has not only won this event, has a couple of runner-up finishes. He has popped recently. I just think people are willing to forget a lot of the really bad play that he's had over the course of the last couple of months. I'm not ready to get there yet, but this is the same calculation that has been very, very accurate for a, a long time. And it came out to be 40%, but I agree with you. I'm nervous. Evan, welcome. Betting card, Morikawa, Spieth, and Reed, or Morikawa and JT? As much as I love Spieth, I probably will not get to Reed, so I will go Morikawa and JT. I think JT probably just wins this thing. Greg is back, says, Happy New Year, everyone. Smash the like button so we smash this golf season. Thank you, Greg. And yes, that is um, much appreciated. If you could hit the like button, if you could be subscribed, all that good stuff that people usually ask you for, please do that. 
Hey, Rick, happy new year. What are the chalky punts? Chalky punts. Chalky punts down at the bottom. Chalky punts could be like a, someone should get that domain. So chalky punts would be, KH Lee's probably going to be the most popular. Max Homa, 10 and 15% respectively. Mark Leishman, maybe 21%. I probably prefer Seamus Power, Cam Davis, and Homa's fine. Homa's fine. You just need him to putt well. That's fine. Um, and then even like, you know, Gooch is an interesting pivot from Jason Kokrak, I think as well. Oh, Joel Damon. Joel Damon, I'll tell you what, I'll, sh I'll just show you Joel Damon because he's been, um, I think he's been a lot better than people really want to give him credit for. Over his last handful of events, the ball striking has really, really turned around. You can see he gained five and a half in Houston, was a consistent gainer going back to the Wells Fargo Championship. That's a pretty good statistical profile for Joel Damon. Hey, Rick, do you have any data on guys coming off long layoffs? If not, who do you think is benefit, who benefits or is hurt? I meant to do this in the break and I'll have to get around to it. I was going to have a split section. So if you go to the, if you go to the, the golfer profiles, there's a, like a split section. I was going to add data for, um, you know, playing on consecutive weeks, playing on one week off, two weeks off, three weeks off, or one week on, two weeks on, three weeks on, four weeks on, etc. And I have it. I just need to get it loaded in there. So I'm not ready to comment on it yet, but it's going to be hard for me to really just kind of guess. You, you know, you don't know what these guys have been up to. Jordan Spieth just had a baby. I would assume he's probably been spending time with his new child, as he probably should. Bryson DeChambeau never takes time off. Now, I don't know if he's working on long drive stuff. I don't know if he's been playing a lot of golf. Never takes time off. He's been playing golf. So it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. It's going to be hard for me to really identify who it benefits and who it doesn't. But I've just kind of generally said, okay, set everybody back to their 100-round baseline, and we'll go from there. Hey, Rick, says Brady. I have a one and done that included the fall swing. I've already used Answer, Burns, Smith, and Berger. Would you lean Kokrak, Leishman, or Patty Reed this week? I would prefer Jason Kokrak. Um, I've, I might have mentioned this already this week. Jason Kokrak is legitimately, legitimately like the best putter on tour right now. So he's definitely the best putter in this field. This is raw. One hundred last one hundred rounds putting Jason Kokrak head and shoulders above the field. He unlocked it. He unlocked it. A hundred rounds is a lot. That might just be what he is moving forward. If you remove just this field, the only guy who's even who's even better than him is Ian Poulter. So that's what we're talking about with Jason Kokrak. And Kokrak is a good ball striker. He's long off the tee. He's not very good around the greens, but twenty five under par, Kapalua. I'm hoping you don't have to be good around the greens. If you're using your short game, you're probably in trouble. So I, I think the answer is Kokrak. I actually, I believe he's the last guy that, um, you know, like kind of win, like 35 to one, I kind of draw the line there. Like I think he has a legitimate chance at winning. Does this course not favor JT, Morikawa, and Hovland's game emphasis on making the most putts? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one way to get there, right? So there's a lot of ways to get there. The one way to get there for those guys would be be elite ball strikers and hope to make enough putts. If you look at the actual correlated numbers, and if you've never seen this before, um, this is one of my favorite calculations on the website. I take all the data, all the stats on the PGA Tour, all the courses, and I, and I run a correlation model, and I say what stats at each course what types of stats at each course have been the most correlated to success? Not for that week, but the type of player, which I think is actually a better way to do it. And 
Strokes gain approach is very, very, very highly correlated. In fact, there's only six other courses in which strokes gain approach is more correlated. So you just pointed out, you know, three of the best approach players on planet Earth. So yes, that is certainly one way to get there. The other way is with the putter and you make all your 20 footers and you get to 25 under. That doesn't necessarily fit those guys. But if they're having looks from eight feet more often, the guys are making having looks from, from 15. Yes, that would be one path to get there. Sorry, I got to drink two of these a day. This is 64 ounces. I got to get to a gallon a day. Is that even that? Is that really even healthy for you? I don't know. Brandon says, can you chat about good leverage plays and how to avoid the chalk? I believe I did that. So give it a quick rewind. Fritz says, love your material. Welcome back. Let's go. Thanks, Fritz. Do you think someone will get to 30 under? Probably not, Jordan. I think Jordan Spieth may be your namesake. Although I guess maybe depending how old you are, that wouldn't make any sense. I think he's got the course record. And I believe that was 30 under. And that was just, you got to shred this thing. If you get one day of wind, they're not going to get the 30 under par, right? JT a couple of years ago, I think it was wet. Might've been a little windy. Ball didn't roll out nearly as much. The ball's on the ground so much here at Kapalua, especially after your drives, that if it plays wet or, or the wind comes up, even for a day, they're not getting to 30. So no, I do not believe. Burger top five, probably. <laughs> Lincoln says, I'm stunned I'm not the first Lincoln to comment. There you go. Hey, the, the Rick Run Good brand, very strong with Lincolns. There's, there's lots of you out there. I appreciate all of you, but you got to be faster if you want to be the first Lincoln. My heart says yes, but my head says no. Will we have Torcast this week? So I believe you're referring to ShotLink, which is the strokes gain data. And that is a good question. I think the answer is certainly yes, believe it or not, because um, if you go back into the Holy Grail and we look at Tournament of Champions, I've got data from previous years in here. So let's see. Yeah, yeah, I've got data. I've got data. So yeah, we've had, we've had ShotLink here before. Yes. So I assume we are going to get it again. Fun little fact, if you remember, uh, that drive that Dustin Johnson hit where he almost made an ace on that par four, 13 or 14, I think is the whole number. That was a 1.8 strokes gained off the tee in one shot. I believe that's the highest rated tee shot ever, at least of the ones that I could find. I'd have to go back and check. With Damon being $6,100 chalk, who would you rather use as a pivot, Kisner or Sink? I Probably Kisner. I, listen, I'm just, Stuart Zeke has been basically the worst player in this field over the last nine months, maybe not that long, six months. I would probably just prefer anybody else. And maybe maybe he gets back to being good, but it, it I'm, I'm concerned. Love all the content, Rick. Do we have any confirmation on the Burger Hovland club situation? Yep, both of them have clubs. Burger got his, um, what's today, Wednesday? So I think Burger had his Tuesday morning or, Wednesday, or Monday night. Hovland got his this morning, I believe. And uh, his driver head was snapped off. So I imagine he's working on getting a new shaft in that. Uh, but listen, he won. Didn't he win Mayakoba with James Hahn's driver? So uh, should, be, should be ready to rock and roll for both of those guys. Cameron Tramp withdrew yesterday from his home in Texas, which means he wasn't in Hawaii on Tuesday. Do we know any other player showing up the day before the tournament? No, no. None of these guys are showing up that late. But this kind of goes to the fact that we need range reports, right? It would have been so easy for a member of the media or the PGA Tour to be like, it's Monday of tournament week. Here are the players who made an appearance on the course today. They went out and they... Hit, you know, Jordan Spieth went to the range for 45 minutes, then he played nine holes, 
That's what I would need to know. Um, and then you just wouldn't have gotten a Cameron Champ update on Monday. There would have been nothing on Tuesday. And we would have been like, what's going on here, right? That's what we need, range reports. I'm going to skip a couple of these because I've, I've answered these. I've answered these, uh, which is good. So Jordan says, I think Kokrak will be in contention. He always does well in no-cut events. I think he does okay in them. Or maybe above average. Let's we can actually just figure this out here. So what I'll do is I'll go to the Holy Grail and I can filter by just the no cut events. Love doing this. And we can sort by strokes gain total. I think he's like a half a stroke per round guy. Yeah, he is 0.46. So that puts him puts him in the top half of the field, puts him above average. Um, you know, he won the CJ Cup, which is a no-cut event, finished ninth at the workday, the WGC event. Tour Championship, he was 11th. That's a field of only 30. BMW Championship, 15th. That's a little bit of a bigger field. He's been okay. He's been above average for sure. Okay, this is this is an interesting conversation I've, I've, I've touched on a bit. How much regression for Bryson without his beloved green reading books? Yeah, we're going to find out. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I don't know whether he's been... I mean, there are, there are definitely loopholes in this rule, right? There, there, there's loopholes in the rule. He could have been going in and, and transferring over the data that was measured from a Greens reading book and writing it in by hand, which would probably be illegal, but they'd never be able to prove it. I'm not saying that's what he did. Obviously, I'm not trying to, but like there are huge loopholes in the no Greens reading book thing. I do think we're going to find out. Let's look at the first 15, 20 rounds for Bryson and see because he's so heavily reliant on that as one of the variables that he puts into it with the stimp reading and the distance of the putt and how far he brings his putter back. He, that Those are all just variables that he puts into the calculation. So I do think the lack of green reading book and the exact number will uh, probably hurt Bryson the most, or at least he'll have more work to do than anybody else. So we'll see in the first you know, 15 or 20 rounds or so. And you're going to see, mark my words right here, if I can invest in aim point right now, I would. You're going to see a lot of guys using the aim point. You're going to see a, you're going to see a lot of this, and you're going to see straddling the line because they're going to need to get that those numbers in real time on the course. You're going to see a lot of it. Ooh, I've answered a couple of these thoughts on Kepka. I'm not sure I have thoughts on Kepka. You know, he has been incredibly subpar. I think we're, we're, we're talking about, it always comes down to motivation with him seemingly. And you wonder if he's motivated and you wonder if it is really just the major championships. He tried to tell us that he's a, he's a gym rat. I think again, I'm, I'm, I'm lukewarm because he's, when he's at his best, he's phenomenal. He's always a very good putter on Bermuda. I, I, I would like to be high on, on Brooks. I can't get there. So I'm kind of like medium on him. All of Siwoo's wins have come on Bermuda with easy-to-hit fairways. Thoughts? Eh. Listen, Siwoo is, is Jordan Spieth light, right? You're, he, I would be unsurprised to see Siwoo win, and I would be unsurprised to see Siwoo finish 39th. That's, that's generally what you're going to get. I Actually, I mean, let's just – this is your show. Let's pull him up. Let's pull up Siwoo here. See what we got. Um. He's not a very good putter on Bermuda, so I'm not sure. I mean, his wins might have come there, but he's he's not a very good putter. He was really, I mean, this is this is very concerning to me. So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm pointing out 
the fact that since the PGA Championship seven months ago, he's probably been one of the worst putters in the field and maybe on on tour, which is concerning because you're going to need to get to an absolute birdie fest. You're going to need to get to 25 under par. I I worry about it. Ooh, okay, I can run a new custom model. Yeah, let's do it. So good question, Steven. And actually, so it's funny because the custom model, uh, it now saves your progress. So you know how it'd always be like, oh, I don't remember what I did on Monday. I actually, I, can, I don't have to remember anymore. It saves your progress. So here's what I would probably do. I, I think I've got to buy into the longer term stuff. So 50 or 100 rounds, let's go 50. Okay, let's go late last 50 rounds. I want to I want to use the weighted strokes gain numbers and I think I want to do it based on the course the course uh key stats. So let's say 25 on approach and 25 uh 20 on putting and let's go DraftKings points gained because that's uh, going to be a huge factor. Obviously we're playing a fantasy point game which leaves me with 20. Now I don't want to double count too much of this. So what I'll actually do is par, I could do par four scoring. Let's do, oh boy, sorry. I've got 20 left. Let's do 10 off the tee and 10 on distance. And let's see what this gives me. So my players are, let me get out of the way here. My players are, no surprise, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Cantlay, Cam Smith shows up. Again, he shows up in a lot of stuff I've been doing this week. Jordan Spieth is sixth. Justin Thomas is seven. Hovland, eight. Abe Answer, nine. Jason Kokrak, 10. That's my top 10 based on the parameters that I would put in at this moment. Happy New Year, Rick. Just estimated pricing and have no golfer over $7 in the IPO phase. That is um, referring to jock market. So if you had to pick three players this week that you'd have to pay more than $7 for, who would they be? Probably Xander, right? I think Xander's certainly safe and has a chip on his shoulder. I think that Rom has to be one. No, Rom doesn't have to be one. Thomas has to be one. So Thomas, Xander, and... I think it might be Bryson. So Bryson destroyed this with his driver last year. Lost strokes in all the other categories, still finished T7. And Bryson is always disrespected in the jock market, Mike. So if you're paying up for him, it's still probably less than he than he should be. So I think it's those three. And again, you can get that information. You get access to the custom model, rickrungood.com. Go sign up for it. It's really good. I've answered this one, Spencer. So Spencer asked again about the weighted strokes gained. I answered that uh, one of the first questions. If you want to go back. Here's a question about Lucas Herbert. have not talked about it. That's probably the first time I've said his name all week long. Um, so he want, the, the way he got into this was via the Bermuda Championship. And let's take a peek, see. Yeah, so what's cool about this now is I've got uh, not only his Corn Fairy data in here, 
but I've also got his, his Euro tour data as well, right? That's now in the database. So we can get really a really good perspective of the type of player that everyone is. So he wins at the Irish open finishes fourth at the Scottish. Those were back-to-back weeks in July played. Okay. On the corn Ferry in their kind of playoffs and towards the end of their year, didn't get off to a great start, missed the first two cuts and then won in Bermuda then missed the cut at Mayakoba and played the DP World Tour and finished T21. I think what I see from, from Lucas Herbert is a very volatile, high upside golfer, right? If you can gain 16 strokes on a field and win the Irish Open and then go out and lose three at the 3M and then you lose consistently at the Fortinet and the Sanderson and you're kind of doing it in different ways. Sometimes you're great off the, off the tee. Sometimes you're horrible. Sometimes you're great on approach. Sometimes you're horrible. This is very volatile. I will say, in terms of like high leverage guys that can win you GPPs, it's Herbert, right? I mean, I've I've got him at nine percent owned. I'm not sure he's going to come in at that. He opens up a lot of volat- a lot of uh, salary cap for you. What if uh, what what do you need him to finish? He's he's sixty one hundred. If he finishes T twenty two, you're probably pretty happy, aren't you? Hmm. Interesting. Here's a good Cantlay question. Does the $9,700 DK tag on Cantlay and the fact that he hasn't played competitive golf for longer than most cancel each other out? I I am pretty, like, the only thing I'm worried about with Cantlay is the lack of competitive golf, which you probably should not be knocking him for. He's been unreal. Um, you know, if you go look at the power rankings or anywhere you want to go on, on, on rickrungood.com and you start doing the weighted stuff, right? Start looking at the weighted last 50, last 100 rounds. It's basically John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay. Cantlay's been that good. The fact that he gains across the board, he's got no flaws in the game. There, there is an argument to be made. He's the most mispriced golfer on the slate. So I'm pretty excited about Cantlay. The only, only, only knock at all is the last time we saw him was the Tour Championship. There's actually three guys in this field. Here's a little fun fact for you. Three guys in this field that have won two their last two starts coming in. Can we name them? Can we name them? I'll give you a second here. Two starts in a row. Three different guys have done this. There's two obvious ones. I just talked about Patrick Cantlay. He won the BMW Championship and the Tour Championship. So you should have gotten that one. Should get Victor, right? My Coba hero. The other one's a little bit hairy. It's Jason Kokrak. Uh, he won in Houston, and then he won the QBE shootout with Kevin Nas. So uh, if you didn't get that one, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with it. How much money are you willing to leave on the table for the $100,000 to first DraftKings tourney? 500 or more? No problem. So Joseph is hitting on something that is kind of like my, I don't want to say it's like a pet peeve, but something that I track fairly regularly. If you go and search uh, on Twitter, Rick Run Good Optimal, I tweet out the optimal lineup every week. It is rarely, if ever, you know, it's like twice a year, three times a year, it's like exactly 50,000. Most of the times it leaves hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on the table. You can also go to, uh, I I have a post about them on on rickrungood.com. If you search for optimals or something like that, you'll find it as well. So I'm never afraid to leave multiple hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on the table. Appreciate the work as always. Thank you. Do you think Finau is underpriced this week? 
so so probably for his pedigree he is. The problem is I have two big issues with Finau this week. His strengths, same with Abraham Answer, are not really put to good use here. These are super wide fairways that everybody's going to hit. It's going to turn into a putting contest. Does does that Oh jeez, sorry. Does that sound like Tony Finau? No, I want Finau at kind of more difficult driving courses, longer, more narrow, grind them out type of spots. I just don't think this fits to his strengths all that well. So I think he's underpriced for his pedigree, but I think the fit is is not so great. Alex Hahn presents us with our first Matt Jones question of the day. Can we do a deep dive on Matt Jones? Sure. So here's the trivia question. This is always a fun game to play. What event did this guy win to get into the event? Matt Jones, anyone? Anyone? Give you a hint. During the Florida swing. Yeah, it was the Honda. That's right. Honda champ, Honda, Honda classic. That's what got him in here. So that was back in March. So, oh boy, here's the problem with Matt, Matt Jones. Um, wins the Honda. Can you see this on my screen? By gaining strokes across the board, but really gaining six on approach. After that, he lost strokes on approach and a lot of them nearly every single week. And if you want to say, okay, well, what's his baseline? Well, what, what, is, what is Matt Jones' baseline, his 100-round baseline? It's not a good approach player. In fact, there is no year of his career dating back to 2014 that he gained strokes on approach. He lost in all of them. He's an okay putt. He's a, he's a very tour average golfer. He's a very tour average golfer. So I am not all that excited to get access to Matt Jones. You would need an outlier week. How can I watch featured group coverage? I don't believe NBC Sports Gold has PGA coverage anymore. Yeah, so ESPN Plus. You need ESPN Plus. They PGA Tour Live is now going through ESPN Plus, which gives you uh, four feeds now, featured groups, marquee groups, I think. I think those are two different things. Featured holes, and there's another feed. Featured groups, featured holes, marquee groups, I don't know, but there should be four feeds. ESPN Plus, I think it's all—it's—it's it's definitely all the same subscription. So like, it's that six ninety nine a month or whatever. It gets you access to everything else on ESPN Plus and also uh, PGA Tour Live. And I guess they should pay me for that plug. I've answered a lot of these. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Cam Davis, a perfect fit for Kapalua, kind of. I think so. I'm running out of questions. I might loop back. There was a couple of questions I skipped because I thought I was going to get better questions, but I might I might go back here. Um, MD says, Rick, let a button or two go on that polo. Stop suffocating yourself, bro. Let's see those chest hairs. Yes, you're, you know, as much as I would love to. Do you think I, do people think I walk around like this? I don't walk around like this. That's that's crazy talk. This is for the la- the lav mic, right? I've got my mic plugged in here. You got to have a real strong collar uh, to, to to be able to get this sound correct. I clear. I do this for you. I, I wear I wear this Bubba style polo for you guys so that the audio is good. I'd much rather be shirtless, uh, letting the chest hairs run free, but uh, I cannot, unfortunately, for the audio purposes. Xander and Power or Kokrak 
and Berger. Ooh. Has to be Xander and Power, right? I mean, Kokrak's better than Power. Xander's better than Berger. But Xander is further... is is There's a gap between Xander and Berger that is bigger than the gap between Kokrak and Power, I believe is the way that that looks. I know you're against the wind effects, but what's in the forecast, uh, I will check late. If you've ever been to Hawaii, it changes constantly. So you can still check tomorrow morning. Remember, this isn't going to start until what, 3 Eastern on Thursday? So you're going to have some time. So you can pull up WindFinder on Thursday morning, see what it's like for round one and kind of make some decisions from there. And the good news is there's only 38 golfers. So basically everybody's going out in tee times that are, what, an hour and a half, two hours apart, which is which is uh, always good. Spencer says, hey, Rick, on Sungjae for the Bermuda putting, after a break, you talk a lot about reverting to long run, long run average, but not so for Sungjae. Why not? Well, I mean, it's a good point. Let me pull up the numbers again. I guess for me, it's not so much reverting to his long-term average as, a, as more like what is his long-term average, right? So, oops, I'm going to actually do this. I got to do this a different way. I got to go to the Holy Grail, and I've got to go to... Let me pull this up for you guys here. So I got to clear out my stuff here, and I've got to go to Bermuda putting, and I've got to go to Sungjae. So it's not so much about his long term as much as wh- what is his long term, because he has not, basically not gained strokes putting on Bermuda since April. I mean, I could argue the last six months is his reversion back to long term. Or am I saying it's the last year? If I say it's the last year, he's probably an average player. Am I really expected to give him the benefit of longer than a year when I'm not willing to do that for everybody else? When I'm trying to do 50 or 100 rounds for everybody? So I don't know. So for for me, Spencer, it's not so much about the reversion as, as opposed to what is his actual baseline. Cam Smith minus 114 versus Hideki in a head-to-head matchup. Can you run the simulation? Okay, yeah, sure. So um, this is something that I have on the website as well, which would allow you to plug in any two golfers against each other in any time frame that you want. So Smith versus Hideki, uh, what time frame do you want? I would say all of 2021. So let's do that. I think I'm running out of questions here. So you got questions. Now is your opportunity. Get those in. I've got Cam Smith winning this 59% of the time. Pretty good testament to how good Cam Smith has been. He's generally, there's probably only one period in which Hideki crossed over and would have been a favorite in this. And it would have been... Probably, yeah, it would have been early August. And then Cam Smith has continued to separate. So I've got Cam Smith winning at 59% of the time. You said the odds were minus 114. I have him at minus 143, so that would probably be a bet. Will Ricky be playing Kapalua in 2023? Listen, there are a lot. There's 100 guys that if you said, would they be playing this event next year, I would just tell you no. There's only 40 winners, right? Something like that, 45. And 
the big boys are going to eat up a lot of them. And it's hard to win. And we see even the studs go a long time without winning. So Ricky, no fault of his own, just kind of falls into golfers 50 through 150 that if you ask me any of them are going to be in this event, I will tell you no. Right? That's just kind of the, the nature the nature of the beast here. So sorry about that. Do you think Seamus will keep up his hot play? I think he could be a good ownership pivot. Yeah, I do. So I, I mentioned earlier, the raw numbers for Seamus are splendid. The weighted numbers are, are, are worse, obviously, because he's done much better in, in weaker fields. But that's not necessarily his fault. Those are the fields that he's played. And even with the weighted numbers, he's 18th. Well, 18th in a field of 38 is a t- the top half right? And he's being priced much lower than that. So I didn't want anyone to take my comments on Seamus Power as a negative or a knock on him because they're not. He's still, I believe, still mispriced. I think he's $6,600. Yeah. And he's probably coming in sub 10%. And the skill set that he's had, which is the approach play, is... Great. So yeah, I'm 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 pretty pretty high on on um on Seamus Power there. Haven't heard anything about Morikawa this week. Thoughts on him? I think the path for him needs to be fire fire it close and roll the rock. I I worry that two things. So kind of in the way that I worry about Finau's skill set, I worry a little bit about Morikawa's skill set just not being as big of a gap between the rest of the field. When he's at his best, he's going to pound fairways. He's going to fire darts. Everybody's going to hit the fairway. Everybody's going to be putting for birdie. If it turns into a putting contest, I worry. Now, if he stuffs everything to five feet, it's over. But he's going to have to make a lot of putts to probably get to 25 under par. Denver Timmy says, thanks for all the content. I want that run and done belt. Yes, if you haven't seen this. Do I have this handy somewhere? Uh, I am... The the one and done is going to start next week, or the run and done. My my one and done is going to start next week, and uh, there's still time to get in. Last time I checked, I believe there's like 250 people in it, something like that. And the winner will get this custom fantasy golf championship belt. Could you imagine? Could you imagine throwing that thing over your shoulder? Your name will be on it. I'll mail it to you. Get a little cash along the way. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be cool to send that out. Looking forward to it. All right, a couple more here, and then I'll get us out of here for lunch. Let's see. First time starting a one and done with this event. Is Lefty a good use this week to get him off the table and keep the top players? Daniel, my friend? No. Could he win? Is it? Could, are, are these comments going to burn me? Maybe. You do not have to use Phil Mickelson in one and done this year. You don't. My strategy would be burn somebody. I'm burning Xander. Do it. There's plenty of guys left. You're never gonna. You're never gonna feel bad. You're only gonna feel worse when you get to the end and you didn't use your guys and you never contended all year long. You don't have to get Phil off the table. You don't have to use him this year. I created a video during the off season about setting my one and done lineup for the entire year. Go check out that video. I believe it is uh, a strategy backed by data and. I think it's worth it. Enjoy. Coke Racker, Sungjae, and One and Done, mm, either are fine. 
take your pick. Can you give your opinion on four golfers to win a major this year? Oh my God. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Matt. Is it just like you want like Rom, Rom Spieth, Cantlay, Victor? Like I, it's just like there's just there's just so much, right? I don't know. Um, if there was like some type of strategy involved where it's like you get more points for picking golfers that are further down the official world golf rankings. I mean, here I think I think it's really weird. I actually think this is a like I what, what's the what's the Jordan Spieth prop on on winning a major? Probably half right? Half a major. This is the, this is the year Jordan Spieth wins a major. Uh, I believe he's got such a good setup. Augusta, obviously, uh, Southern Hills, fine, whatever, but he's going to get Brookline, which is these tiny baby greens, right? There's two ways to win at Brookline, hit every green or have the best short game. And that means either Morikawa or Jordan Spieth are going to win the U.S. Open. Then he gets to go to St. Andrews, which is like a great spot for him. And the Open Championship is all about creativity. And he's like the most creative golfer on planet. I think he has three really good shots at it this year. I'm looking at top 20 for Tournament of Champions, 15 guys minus 30 or better. A couple of them have to be good plays. Yeah, I assume, but I'm not sure who you. I'm not sure who those guys are. I'm not sure that question. Jeffrey says, "I already ate lunch. Keep talking, please." Hmm. Some of us have not eaten lunch yet, myself included. Jeffrey, do you ever hedge when you have a golfer leading on Sunday? Okay, Adam. Oof. We'll end with this one because this is a very good topic. Generally not. And I created a video about this in the offseason, which I highly encourage you to go watch. The reason that hedging in golf is incredibly difficult is that it is not a binary outcome. When you have a Super Bowl team, a team to win the Super Bowl, and you have them in the playoffs and you hedge against them with the other team, there's two outcomes. Team A wins or Team B wins. We have seen in golf countless times it is not golfer A wins or golfer B wins. It's golfer A wins or golfer B or C or D or E or F wins, right? There's just so much craziness that happens. And it's hard to find that right guy without hedging yourself out of like, with like five tickets and just hedging yourself out of the, the bet anyway. A couple of interesting ways to hedge. You should do it before the event starts, right? Create your own each way. Bet someone to win and bet them to finish top five or top 10, something like that. That's one way to hedge. And hedging number two would be look at your matchup options on Sunday because you could get a situation where you're in the final group and you bet the other guy in the final group to, uh, to win the fourth round matchup. And there's a chance that you win both of those bets, right? And if your one guy beats the other guy, maybe it's unlikely that he won. It depends on scores and stuff before they get in there. But no, I generally do not hedge because it doesn't make much sense to. And I think that'll do it. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, I appreciate you stopping by. Please, on your way out, hit the like button. Consider subscribing to this channel and to rickrungood.com. There is a Twitter space. Wait, don't, don't leave yet. There's a Twitter space. If you've not joined the Twitter space, it's an audio, live audio on Twitter. I'm doing that tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can come on and talk. We can have a conversation. We can chat about anything that you want. We'll continue to do this. So anything that you want there. And then 8.15 p.m. Eastern time is the Jock Market Power Hour. 
and we're going to give away some money and we're going to have a lot of fun. So I will see you then and I will go eat lunch right now. Thanks for stopping by. Pet a dog. Happy New Year.